Well, hello, friends. It is Wednesday and we are between two Sundays and you are with Mark Gladman and Mark Beresford. Mark, how are you, my friend? I'm really well. Thank you. Yourself? You look well. Yeah, you look well. I'm, I'm growing Thank the you. beard out, man. I'm back on the bike full time. It's been like four nice. or five weeks now. And I don't nice. know, it's, get, it's getting itchy. So <laughs> it, it might not last. Dare I, dare I say it, I, I understand. And here on the Gold Coast, the, the mugginess and stuff at the moment, it's not all that super comfortable. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, we'll, we'll see how we fare. We are between two Sundays. And of course, for those of you who haven't joined us uh, ever um, or have forgotten the format of the show, yeah. we talk about the lectionary readings for each Sunday. Um, and in we talk about them in the middle of the week. And we do that by talking about last Sunday's readings and how we're living into them to today. And then we start to look into next week's readings as we approach the Sunday that's to come. So last week was the fifth Sunday uh, after the Epiphany. And uh, we had the readings from Isaiah, from Psalm 138, uh, from 1 Corinthians 15, and from Luke chapter 5. Um, so in living into those, my friend, what, what's been gripping you? What, what grabbed you and what mm. let you go? Yeah, yeah. I, I was um, I was kind of stunned to realise um, Psalm 138 sitting in the midst of all these passages that really talk about um, how far for far short we fall of the standards of God and how acute that um, that feeling can actually be. So Isaiah says that and um, Peter experiences the same thing. And then in the middle of this is this Psalm 138 um, absolutely assuring us of the steadfast love of God. And um, yeah. I was particularly captivated by um, the very last verse um, that's here. This, this almost theological statement, um, you know, this just this statement of fact that the... Um, uh, that the author here of Psalm 138 makes, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And then, um, so, so there's this sort of rock solid understanding of what God is doing, this, this statement of belief. And then it goes into a prayer that's asking for the steadfast love of the, of, of your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Um, again, it's there, isn't it? This expectation that um, that I'm different from God, that I'm not there for any other reason other than the grace and mercy and steadfast love of God. Yeah. Um, so I've been, I've been sitting with that, um, wondering wondering to what extent this has been something I've known forever. And to what extent I still need to pray it into reality or pray myself into that reality. Yeah. Um, the reality of the steadfast love of God. Um, in, the, in the belief that God's not finished with me, that God hasn't finished growing me, that I still have much to learn about what it looks like to live as graciously as God does revealed in the as revealed in the person of jesus 
So I'm I'm sitting with this this humility that seems to come from declaring that God is love, not God is obliged. Yeah. That last line too, when you read it, we sang Amazing Grace. Um, uh, yes. And uh, recently in church, and, and it just reminded me of that, you know, the Lord has f- will fulfill their promise for me and the Lord has promised good to me. Uh, he's hoped my heart yes, secures. Yes. Uh, it, it sounds very yeah. much like that, that, that there's a work that God wants to continue to do uh, as long as life endures. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, which is incredibly... Yeah. Um, it's, it's incredibly a beautiful line hopeful. In, it's a beautiful line in that version of Amazing Grace, I, I think. Um, uh, what is it? The Lord is... Uh, isn't there a line there that says... Um, the, the Lord has called me here below, or something. Uh, I'm not God sure. Of, yeah, I'll, I'll that was one of the verses it. that was probably omitted for length. <laughs> maybe, maybe um, there is a wonderful line there that that gets me every time uh, in the version that we sing, which is not the standard version. The the God who called me here below, and every time I sing it, I find myself thinking. You know, what if God really has called me for this time? And even though it, you know, it can look so accidental and um, so unpurposeful, what if I'm really here for now and there's, and God's got me here for that? Anyway, I'll, I'll dig up, I'll dig up the, um, the version. So many places you go, all of a sudden I'm thinking about the fact that there is only now, um, technically. Yeah. Time's a construct, and there is only now. I can't have a minute ago. You can't have the next one. Uh, anyway, yeah, so much you could do with that. Uh, um, oh, that's there's so much there. There's so much there, isn't there, Mark? Um, how it, I, I wonder how much our counting of time actually causes us to look into the future rather than live in the present or live in the past and, uh, for the same reason. We, well, yes. Yes, um, we can. Um, we we can sort of count back. We can point to the past in a kind of mathematical way, I suppose, because of the way we use time. And we can point to the future in the same. We can talk about next month, but um, really, now is all. We've now's got. all we've got. Now it's the only got. place. It's the only place we can live, and it's the only place we can be faithful. And it's where God meets us. Yeah. In the now, which is a, a kind of where I was in my deliberations out of the week. That I think I mentioned last week how, uh, you know, fish and all the fish stories are a big deal for me. Uh, yeah. And it, yeah. And it just reminded me of that, that, you know, as we walk forward um, into each moment, into each now, where is God revealing God's self? Where is the Christ being revealed? Um, yeah. In fact, I, I read a beautiful quote from Thomas Merton just this afternoon, which spoke about that, which spoke about how, um, you know, the Christ is in every person. And it's not mm-hmm. for me to decide whether Christ is or isn't in that person. It's for me to love that person because Christ is there. Um, yeah. And so this revelation yeah. of where Christ is in every moment and every day, where is the spirit of the Christ now? And to, and to yeah. see that and to understand that and relate to that and to live into that uh, in yeah. every moment. So it was very simple. Um, basically, the last few days, walking around, looking about, going, 
pretty much where is God in this? Uh, yeah. What is God doing here? And most importantly, perhaps, what is God calling me to do right now? <laughs> in this moment, mm-hmm. right now. Yes. Um, yes. What's yeah. what's what's what my moment God, now? What is God calling me to see in this moment right now? Or see in this person who's in front of me, or see in this scene that's in front of me, this whatever. Um, wow. Well, I mean, how is God calling me to see God now? Okay. I don't want to get what a great question. I don't want to chew on this too much because we need to get into next week's reading eventually. But <laughs> you know, remember when Jesus was asked to go and heal Lazarus uh, to raise Lazarus, or at least yeah. call because Lazarus yeah. was sick. And then when Jesus yeah. went to raise the centurion's daughter, or was going to visit the centurion's daughter, and she died along the way. Yes. Uh, yeah. in, in both times, Jesus said it was more important for us to stop and mourn my friend Lazarus. And the other time, it's more important for me to stop now because this woman needs me to have a conversation with her right now. Not, not yeah. for me to go. That I'm on my way there, but right now, what's important? Where is, and I, I mean, uh, you know, where is, where, where do I need to be in this moment? I need to be here with this woman. Yeah. She's just touched the hem of my garment, not going off to, to pray for this. And so it's even cuts into whatever dreams and aspirations or even calling yeah. we think we have. Uh, that suddenly mm. if God put something in my path that I need to deal with right now is what I need to deal with. Not the thing I think I'm going to, or the thing that's been, yeah. but the thing that's right now. Um, that idea of yeah. the now really shakes. It's interesting because. It, yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting because Je- Jesus capacity, Jesus faith in God to put him in the right place at the right moment allows him not only to not only to enter into the now and and deal with what is presented to him, but clearly um, it also implies that God will put me in the right place at the right time. Um, that Lazarus story is interesting because he says to his disciples, I'm, I'm glad I stayed because now you will see the glory of God. Um, so so he, he lives in the moment and stays and he believes that the perfect moment is coming is actually being put in place because he stays in this in this current moment if you like so it's it's actually a profound faith jesus walks through um he's not he's not rushed because he seems to me to believe that god will put him in the right place at the right time now and now and now and now Um, and i think that I think that's just wonderful. He, he, Jesus believes it's all being lined up and he will be and he is in the perfect place at the right time. Boom. <laughs> I think we need to do like four weeks on every set of readings somehow. Um. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure that was even any of the readings, was it? But anyway. that's all right. It was fun. Anyway. Speaking of readings, Epiphany 6, or the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany, is coming up this week. Our readings for this Sunday come from Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 5 to 10, Psalm 1, 1 Corinthians Mm. 15, 12 to 20, and Luke 6, 17 to 26. If you are watching on YouTube or you are listening to the podcast, those readings should be listed in the show notes uh, and you can grab them there. Otherwise, jump online and have a look at the lecture and you'll find them very easily. 
So uh, this is a really interesting set of readings, which mm. um, the links, and I know you talked about this before and explained uh, to, to everybody that the, the Old Testament reading or the Hebrew scripture reading and the psalm are often related. Well, they're usually related. The psalm is selected to reflect the reading from the Hebrew text. That's correct, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this this week that's super obvious. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's a wonderful theme of um, bless blessedness here and happiness. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I was reading through the Jeremiah reading today, and I was thinking if I was the lectionary writer, I would be choosing Psalm one after this. And then, of course, I got <laughs> there and realised that. Um, it, it and it should, in some ways, that's the way. It's designed to feel um, because psalm, especially in an Anglican or even a Catholic setting, I think um, the psalm is read by the people. Um, yeah, and there's yeah. often a call and response. So, so this is really a sense of responding to the Old Testament reading that has just been heard right? as best we can. But this is one of those weeks where that is quite obvious, isn't it? Yeah, really obvious. I mean, how do you get past um, trees planted by water? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, <laughs> the dry turning green. Um, I mean, in yeah. the Jeremiah reading, it's interesting because it starts off in verse five of chapter seven with a very clear um, cursed are those, and this is why, but then yeah. blessed are those, and this is why. Um, and so that's one of those beautiful motifs that's used very often in the Hebrew scriptures by the writers of the Hebrew text. It's part of the Hebrew poetry yeah. that you would have this blessed are and cursed are what i found really interesting about the jeremiah text though is the blessed uh in verse seven blessed are those who trust in the lord whose trust is the lord not whose trust is in the lord but whose trust is the lord Uh, in other words um, trust in god but also Mm. let god be your trust and that yeah uh, yes in times when you're feeling like you can't. And uh, I know Paul talks a little bit about this, you know, that um, things like the spirit will make utterances for us when we can't pray. And that basically it's the faith of the Christ that's in us, working in us. It's not our own faith. Here is another place and where trust, you're trusting the Lord, but also your trust is the Lord. Uh, and it's this this beautiful image of God saying, look, sure, do your best, but if you can't manage it, I've got this. You're okay. Mm. Um, it, yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful, um, and it's no wonder then that the imagery talks about um, green versus dry. Uh, yeah. But it's a realisation that we don't need to do much if we're dry for the green to come in the psalm, we sit by the stream of water and as Jeremiah, you know, reflects there, allow God's trust. Um, let God be our trust. Let God be our source. We don't have to be the source ourselves. We plant ourselves by the stream and the stream does what the stream does. Uh, it waters yes. and nourishes and turns the, the dryness to green. Mm. And so there's this N. T. very sorry go. NT Wright talks a lot about um the faithfulness of God. Mm. Um 
New Testament, um, as uh, in the writings of Paul, especially, I think. Um, and this seems to be what you're tapping into here, this idea that we trust God because um, God is trustworthy and God is God is investing, God is trusting himself to us. Um, we can trust God in the dry and in, you know, the green seasons. Yeah. Um, sadly, we seem to have some philosophy of blessedness that seem, I don't know how we've quite got here. I'd like to understand it a little bit further, but we seem to have got to a place where um, blessed means, you know, riches and um, everything will be good and everything. Um, I, I mean, we our fundamental story is of the faithfulness of God being revealed in one who is is allowed by God to go to the cross, yeah, um, and and go through death um, to come out into life. It just seems so bizarre that we've got to a point where we think God did all that so that we don't have to go along the same path, and yet that God calls us to follow and come after Him and go in the same direction we we have baptism which is symbolizes our dying to ourselves and rising to christ yes this is not symbolism that's pointing us in the direction of we we go the same path as christ i don't know what is um and yet we seem to have this mentality that um that, that you know when we get here to luke blessed are the poor blessed are you who are hungry now Blessed are you who weep now. Um, all of that's all of that's really. I, I don't know what we think of that when we have something of a, you know, a success mentality that that God is trying to make us successful in the world, so that the rest of the world is jealous of us and wants to come and follow this same God. Um, I, I just don't know how to fit the jesus of the gospels into that kind of mold um it doesn't make sense to me but it makes so much sense to me once you once you flip it around and say i'm being asked to embrace the path that jesus took yeah um, which is then the i think this suffering yeah yeah this upside down kingdom begins to make sense that's right um this is interesting in, in the luke passage here that we'll have a look at um, Jesus follows these blessings up with woes. So it's almost yeah. the mirror image for Jeremiah reading. We start with cursed and go into blessed. And then in this Luke one, we start with Jesus blessing and start with the and, and end with these woes. But these woes are very, um, very sobering and actually point to a, um, I think, a substance in the blessedness stuff. Um, they actually ask us to revisit the blessedness stuff. So blessed are the poor, and here you have the mirror image, woe are you who are rich. Um, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you'll be filled. But woe are you who are full now, for you will be hungry. It's a revisiting of the same thing, helping us look at it from another angle. And really, it doesn't leave us a lot of room to have sort of a prosperity mentality around this gospel i don't think no that's right absolutely and and this is 
uh, you know, this is a form of resurrection, as we're saying. This um, exactly. I'm, I'm hungry now, but you will be filled. Resurrection comes from that. Yes. Um, uh, and and again, it's it's trusting that God will do the work. We plant ourselves by the stream, um, and we just trust. And it's it's I think what you said is really really important. I just want to reiterate it that you know this idea that blessing means everything's hunky dory. Uh, what if uh, I was mm-hmm. reflecting on this? Gosh, sometime last year, I remember pondering it for weeks. What if life is just life? Uh, what if the good and the bad is just what life yeah. is? And what if God is mm-hmm. just with us in the good stuff? And in the bad stuff. And of course, Job is probably the most famous, uh, at least biblical example of that. But at the end of the day, the answer to Job was just is, but I am here. Um, Just is, it's not your fault. And I am here. Uh, And I think at the end of the day, keeping in mind that, you know, that prologue to Job, some scholars believe was actually tacked in later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's mm-hmm. not necessarily, it doesn't start with a meeting happening and then God saying, do whatever you want. It actually just starts with yeah, yeah. the bad stuff happening with it, with not necessarily a reason. Um, yeah. And so yeah. uh, the idea that, you know, mm-hmm. Job was blessed through all of that, even though his life went to the war uh, in you know, a, a prosperity type eyes or a modern world type eyes. He was, he was losing everything and yet God was still there. Um, and I think we often miss it because we've got this anthropomorphic image of God and therefore we think, well, if evil is happening, then God, well, you hear some people saying, well, if, you're, if all the evil in the world, um, then God's yeah. a horrible, horrible God, not even worth worshipping. Um, Stephen Fry mm. famously had that interview a couple of years ago where he says, you know, well, the question was asked, what would you say if Stephen Fry is wrong and you meet God? And Stephen Fry said, well, what's with cancer? Uh, what mm. about kids dying? Yeah. And all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, and if you have an anthropomorphic understanding of God, that's where you end up. Um, yeah. But if you understand as God being the force of all life in the universe, the essence and the substance of all that is. And if you watch the way the world and the universe works um, and you call that way that things grow but then die or grow, die but then grow, uh, flip around the other way, or die and grow, that's the cycle of things, um, yeah. you get to a point where you realise, well, we cause the evil. Um, we do things that are out of the flow with that rhythm, with that cycle. And we mm. allow this stuff to, I mean, cancer is technically a organism or whatever, but it's in the wrong place. So it's not as yeah. if, yeah. you know, so I guess, you know, looking at the Corinthians uh, passage, which is all about resurrection um, mm. and, you know, Christ being, proclaimed as raised from the dead, that the question comes, what does resurrection mean? Um, and you know, I did some reading around this and stuff like that. And it's interesting that scientists tell us 
that there is, this is really interesting. There are the same amount of atoms now as there were three seconds after the Big Bang. The same amount of atoms. These atoms just keep getting rearranged in different ways. And so when, when, when you die, your bodies, the atoms in your body will just simply go off and become something else and be rearranged in some other way. Um, And some theologians and certainly more spirituals and mystic theologians, if I can use that that term together, understand that as being a part of what resurrection is. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, there are other questions there that get raised in terms of consciousness and what consciousness we have at death. And I would say that's where you understand um, spirit and so on. But it's, it's interesting. Um, it was Eckhart, uh, Meister Eckhart, who said, every creature is a word of God and a book about God. And in essence, he was saying nothing divine ever dies. And so when we're talking about yeah. eternal life and resurrection, are we talking about me as in Mark Gladman consciousness continues to exist? Or are we talking about me as in the life that I have now is a grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies and brings forth new fruit somehow? Mm. What does that look like? Now, what's interesting about that is if you have a look at um, the beginning of John, we see this cosmic Christ, this Logos, who is there at the beginning of the universe and who is the substance of all things. Um, Now, what's interesting is the risen Christ if you read the end of the gospel accounts where we have these encounters with the resurrected Christ, this risen Christ does not have a limitation of space and time. This risen Christ has bilocation, can be seen in two places at the same time. This risen Christ walks through doors. This risen Christ um, shapeshifts. This risen Christ is unrecognisable to even one of his closest disciples until he says, stick your finger in the hole. How is that possible? And so this idea, you know, I hear people say, well, it has to be a bodily resurrection or it's not worth it and all sorts of things. And I'm like, well, what was Jesus' body? You had two people walk with him down the road to Emmaus and did not recognise him. Mm. If if, if resurrection is this bodily resurrection, of course he's going to be recognisable. So what's going on? Um, And the... I guess the idea here is to get away from this idea that, you know, somebody who's dead will come alive could happen, not taking it away from that. What I'm saying is, is that when you start to look at these things in terms of um, getting away from anthropomorphic images of who God is and start to understand, uh, you know, really read the scriptures and read them for what they are and actually think about them. I mean, he, the door was locked and suddenly he appears in the room. Mm. Now, if that's the resurrected body, what does that look like? But, you know, this, this is exactly why um, theologians talk about um, some like to make the distinction between resuscitation and resurrection. Oh, yeah, okay. Trying to trying to hold those two terms, and so so what does resuscitation says? It says. It's the same thing that was either almost dead or come back from the dead, but it's the same. And, and they're trying to say resurrection is saying 
Um, well, I, I think the best explanation for the gospel stories and this, you, you know, these accounts of encounter with the resurrected Jesus, I really like the idea of bodily and that it's that it's a bodily resurrection, but it's more because there mm. are moments where recognize Jesus. There are moments where he can say, um, put your finger into the link between my death and my life now. Ooh. So there's clearly some um, continuum. Um, but I, I reckon you'd be really hard pressed to say, to, to take a hard definition of bodily as you know, this is just resuscitation and Jesus' body is the same. Um, it's actually not. Yeah. Um, and, and these stories are, are clearly deliberately put there to tell us that, you know, Jesus can eat and Jesus can walk through walls. Jesus can show the scars of the past and he's completely different. Yes. Um, inviting us into, into a deep, pondering of resurrection or what it looks like to be raised and it's and it's inviting us it's insisting that this is far beyond resuscitation and, and that's and, even better that's better news yeah yeah than the former absolutely. I, I think that's fantastic yeah and, and let me um let me let me just link this to our one corinthians reading at yeah. the end yeah um in fact, Christ has been raised from the, from dead, the dead, the yep. first fruits of those who have died. I'm just going to raise that. You, you know, for me, for me, the first fruits of those who have died is the most um, imaginative, evocative language. Once you take Jesus as resurrected, not resuscitated, um, because this is saying, it is insisting that the path Jesus took is the path he is guiding us on. The path from life as we know it through death into resurrection is the path Jesus is, that we are following Jesus on. I, you know, I, I, love, I love the terminology the Gospels use of follow Jesus, follow me. Um, and I, I'm, I'm quite convinced there's an ethical element to that, but I get very tired of us getting stuck in the ethical element as though, you know, following Jesus is, it only kind of helps us ask, you know, what would Jesus do around slavery or what would Jesus do around the environment or stuff like that? Um, it, it's, follow me is asking a much bigger question that includes all of that. And that is, we are on the path from life through death to life everlasting, which is another way of saying resurrection. It's another way of saying this is not resuscitation. It's yes. another way of saying something bigger, something beyond. Um, that is the path. That, that is precisely why um, we are baptised into that profound symbolism of dying to self rising to christ um and learn and we're going to we're learning to do that learning to live that out now and um, the key words but, there, but in a bigger way yeah go on the key words there are rising to christ 
that's key. Yeah. It's not yes. I'm rising to my life. That's resurrect. That's um like resuscitation. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna to rise to my that's life. Resusc- You're rising to the life of Christ. And what um, yeah. what does that look like? Well, I don't know. Uh yeah, <laughs> what does it yeah. look like yeah. to well let's let's put it in this language. What does it look like to literally become love? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what does it look like to actually give ourselves, give ourselves for God, um, as Jesus is, of course, doing, and then discovering, um, you, you know, well, discovering might not be the right word for Jesus, but I think it is for us that that we die to self and discover a bigger life in it, and and this is where, this is where you know, you know I. I, I think, well, I, I believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. But for me, that's not enough. I can't stop there. I, I, have to, I have to, in order to be faithful to the gospel stories, I find myself wanting to say bodily and. Um, and this helps me hold the connection between this life and the next, between yeah. Jesus the incarnated Christ and Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And for me, um, these stories of resurrection that the Gospels tell us of Jesus, they, they are actually holding these things together and, and insisting that this is one life. Um, and, yeah, and a life, that's also key. A, a life we can follow. It's not you have yeah. this life and then you've got another life. And I, this is a continuation of who we are created yes. to be. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> John is, the Gospel of John is, um, has moments where, you know, eternal life begins now. Oh, and, yes. And, uh, you know, I, I like those. I, I think there's something very healthy about us wrestling with the connection between life now and life eternal. Um, rather than, you know, separating the two and something completely separate will start at another stage. The stories of the resurrection in the Gospels, the stories of these encounters with the resurrected Jesus insist on a link. And if you have a look at what that word eternal life, that phrase eternal life means in the context of when Jesus is asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's no concept, uh, at least amongst most Jews at that time, that there was this everlasting life thing that was going to happen. They were really asking, what must I do to live in abundant? That word eternal is where we get aeon mm. from. And it's not about quantity. That word is talks about quality. So really yeah. what they're asking, they're not looking yeah. about what must I do to inherit quantity life. They're saying, what must mm. I do to inherit quality life? How can wow. I live the best way that I can live now? And that's when Jesus says things like sell everything you own and yeah. then come follow me or love your yeah. neighbour as you love yourself um, or pick up your cross and then follow mm. me. These are the things that Jesus is saying will allow us to live an abundant life. And that's the good news. How do I live the best life that I can live? The mistake I think I've made in the past, I'm only thinking of this now off the top of my head, mm. um, yeah. so you, me, and a collective, whoever's listening to this, is hearing this for the first time. But I used yeah. to say, how do I live my best life now? Going back to that idea of living in the present, which is still, there's still truth to that. 
But I think what I'm saying is, is when I'm asking, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What I'm saying is, is what must I do to live the best quality of life I can in the way that I need to live it over the whole frame of what that looks like? And I'm being really careful not to use space-time language uh, to try and remove <laughs> myself from that yeah. because who knows what that looks like when the bodies uh, are out of whack yeah. and we don't have to try and understand well, why we had to invent time to start with an interesting question in itself. But, um, you know, mm. we're so I'm enamored with that. In the modern world particularly, we're always counting the days and counting the minutes and counting the seconds and uh, both where we've been and where we're going and where we are now and where I have to be tomorrow. Um, but when that's all gone, what does that, what does that look like? And, and how do I live my best yeah. life in that as well? Yeah. So there's this whole essence of the quality <laughs> being better than the quantity. Yeah, there seems to me to be this um, debate in our time, maybe in the Western world, maybe beyond, um, uh, about what, how do we define what my best life is? Um, and that, yeah, you know, and bookshelves that, dedicated really, to that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it seems to me to be a common human question um, and we may answer it very very differently um, but but it, it seems to me I, I wonder if if this gets back to some of this blessed language and these woes that we see here in these passages um, I think Jesus is turning on our on its head our definition of our best life. Mm. You, you, when you when you listen, can you imagine being in the crowd, and Jesus, this extraordinary person, turns around and begins to teach about the kingdom that he is living and proclaiming, and he says, "Blessed are the poor, blessed are you who are hungry." Um, Blessed are you when people hate and persecute you. Um, this has got to hit like a ton of bricks and you've got to think, hang on. It's got to throw us so far off balance that we, we, we have to find a new kind of understanding of the world around us and a, and a brand new definition of what our best life is. Um, uh, uh, I, I think this is I think this is shaking things to the very core because how easy how easy is it to define our best life in times of you know in terms of being rich and full and laughing and not weeping and all of these things that Jesus is saying are the woes. Um, mm. This has got this has got to either sound like crazy insane talk. Or it's really, I think, I think it's pointing ultimately to um, we, we've defined we've defined life within the small bubble of the world, and Jesus is defining life within the cosmic bubble of the God who gives of Himself, God who gives of God's self for others. 
that this this heart of the universe that we can barely imagine that is expressed in the life of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for others. Um, that is the heart of the universe. And if that is true, now, now throw that out as a big if, you know, if it, if it is true, if this is a true message, then I entirely agree with these, these definitions of blessed. Because these are, the, these are um, they're actually heading in the direction the same direction as the part of everything that has been created, the, the one behind everything that is. Yeah. Um, these small ones, riches, laughing now, um, what, are, what are they? Full now. Um, these small ones, this is a small picture of the world. Um, I think Jesus is insisting that there's a much, much bigger picture that is unimaginable and in his, in his one life here on earth, Jesus is expressing this upside-down heart that is actually at the centre of everything. And if you can get that, get your head around that, maybe, maybe that's not the right language, maybe we can never get our head around that. But if we can start to adopt that perspective that God is like this, I think that's the only way, the only way that the attitudes make sense. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise, you know, if this life is everything it is and this kingdom of this world is what is, go for riches, go for laughter, go for full bellies now. But if there's something bigger and that bigger is unlike us, then um, we've got a wonderful, wonderful vision that takes us way, way beyond ourselves and invites us to discover the heart, the, the, the very core of the universe. Because this is saying that our kingdoms are fringe, um, but there's a, there's a deeper core and it is not a core of hate and pursuing of self and pursuing of more. It's a heart of giving, a heart of love. Um, and if you bring it, all back to, bring it all back to Jeremiah, then as we wrap it up, yeah, blessed are yeah, those who trust absolutely. in their morals, but blessed are they who trust in yeah. the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Anyone would think that someone selected them to go together. One would. One would. Well, that is uh, another, man, we have fun. Um, oh, that was great. <laughs> that's the, the readings for Sunday, uh, the sixth Sunday after Epiphany um, for this coming Sunday, February the 13th, 2022. And uh, we would love for you to um, join us in the conversation. So, of course, in the show notes, you'll find uh, links to our link tree, which will send you to the Barefoot Follower website where Mark writes articles uh, on the readings each week. I send you to Instagram where I put up just some short reflections uh, about between five and seven times a week. And uh, we encourage you to use those in your own reflection on the readings as you approach Sunday. If you're a, a preacher of some kind or you're preparing a sermon or a homily, please access the material and 
use it to help shape if you need it to help shape where you're going. This is part of the reason why we're doing it. The least of which, though, is that our prayer is that people will rock up to church on Sunday, hear these readings read and used, and will have the sermon very much enhancing what it is that God's been showing them, talking to someone today about, you know, is it, should we be shaping our theology independently or should we be shaping it corporately? And I said to them corporately, everything is corporate. We've made this individualistic thing in more recent years. But if you read the scriptures from start to finish, God is a God of corporateness, God of family, a God of community. Uh, And while God might speak to us in our own personal space, it's when we come together and we have that shaped and formed and honed and sanded and all, you know, curved and, and, and something beautiful comes out of it as we share that in community. So, uh, and then we live it out. We take it with us. We walk with it into the week. And um, our prayer is that you'll be able to use these things to do that. So please uh, leave comments at the blog and at the Instagram site. Um, share um, the, the podcast with people. Uh, share the, the YouTube channel. And, um, you know, we're here to support. And it, please, if you have questions, comments, worries, hassles, concerns, threats even, um send us send us a note and uh we'll just not tell you where we live sweet <laughs> uh but, but do but, no, no, please we, we're interested in that feedback and we'd love to have that conversation and dialogue with you yes very well, my good. friend you know, um, you know as Sorry, you were talking there as you were talking there mark i was thinking um i feel like that's exactly what we're doing here as we talk through these readings we're doing theology or or our thinking about god um together yeah um it's been done in a discussion and uh i i i gotta say i find it more um creative doing it in conversation than doing it on my own did i did i know it's, it's it's hard for us because of the work we do we're often doing it on our own um, yeah. So it's yeah. um, selfish, but a great joy that I think we've been able to to do this. And I think after we've done the three years of the lectionary, we do it all over again because there's going to be so much yeah. more new stuff that will come through. Yeah, yeah. As God speaks to us as we yeah. reflect, and we'll be we'll be surprised. We'll be surprised again um, <laughs> by what God said. There's an Absolutely. old hymn that says, "God." There's an old hymn that says, "God has yet more light and truth to break forth from God's word." Um, I, I just think it's true. And may that be an invitation for you to join us next week for the podcast uh, next Wednesday. Um, <laughs> but until then, uh, thanks, Mark. Bless you heaps. And um, we'll see yeah, you next yeah. week. Can't wait. Bye, everyone. See ya.